Welcome to the UK Educators Community Podcast hosted by Sid, an award-winning STEM communicator, serial entrepreneur and educational consultant and coach. Now my vision is to make maximum impact in the world through education, but I know I can't do this alone. This is where you guys come in. Why don't you join me on this journey as we as educators and entrepreneurs create impact one child at a time. Now I know being an entrepreneur can be both lonely and overwhelming. At UK Educators Community, we've created a community of like-minded, like-valued individuals all supporting each other. From the Champions Club accountability groups to business retreats in Marrakesh, you'll find industry-specific support to help you propel your business forward. So why don't you join us? Join our Facebook group, UK Educators, or find some great resources on the website at ukeducators.com. We look forward to welcoming you to our community. Today, we've got with us Michelle. Now, Michelle is both a tutor and she's also a distance learning teacher. So today, we're going to be looking at Michelle's routine and what she does on a day-to-day basis and learning a bit about her life as a tutor and educator. So welcome, Michelle. Hi, thank you for having me. You're welcome. Do you want to tell us a bit about you to start off with? Like, what got you into teaching and education? Yeah, after doing my biology degree, I initially started training as a teacher it didn't go well. I ended up leaving, you know, a couple of months in because I just couldn't get my head around the kind of behaviour management, classroom management side of things. But I ended up doing a number of different roles working in schools. So working as a teaching assistant, working as a graduate science coach, and then kind of went into tutoring and my role with the Open University. So it was, yeah, a bit of like an odd journey into education but I'm yeah really glad that I ended up here. (laughs) So when you were training to be a teacher and you said that you didn't stick through with it did you at that point think that maybe teaching wasn't for you or did you think it wasn't the right environment for you? I, I definitely thought it wasn't for me it's really interesting there was definitely a lot of focus on you know you're not a natural teacher I remember being you know don't smile before Christmas you've got to be really tough with them and all of this and you know you've got to be tougher you've got to kind of inspire fear or something it it was really quite odd and it's only with kind of hindsight and that being you know a few years ago that it's made me realize that's such an odd way of training teachers that are going to be you know working with children it's a very very odd way of (laughs) of training them it kind of made me realise that there's actually something wrong with the way that schools are and the way that we're training teachers, as opposed to there being something wrong with everybody that goes into teaching and leaves, of which there are thousands of people. <laughs> Including myself. I did the teaching degree. Um, I didn't do it straight after uni. I did it a couple of years after Um, So I'd worked as an unqualified teacher for two years. So I knew I kind of had a really good idea of what teaching can be like, because with that, I was completely given free reign. And I was teaching in a college. So it was it was intense because it was a level content and it was very exam focused. But when you're given the flexibility to do what you want and you know what the end result is, which is they need good results, you will do everything it takes to get them to that point with and then when I went into teacher training it felt like going backwards because you're almost spoon feeding the kids while I had taught the kids how to 
understand the concepts when I was teaching and then suddenly you're taught how to spoon feed how to do all of the the basic stuff and it felt like I was going back in my teaching rather than going forward so I I completely relate with you and and I, I didn't stay for very long I stayed for a few years and I left and luckily because I'd done unqualified teaching I knew that that's not how teaching has to be like so how long did it take you to find out that you're a good teacher and that you can tutor Uh, and you can teach I think it was probably yeah in the the role where I worked as a graduate science coach it sounds similar to maybe what you did I'm kind of working as an unqualified teacher I had a form group which I liked that having a tutor group then I did a lot of small group work and I found that I was good at that I enjoyed that and it wasn't about you know the massive class sizes, the 35 in a class and the crowd control and keeping everybody on task. And Mm. it was actually more about the content and the teaching than it was about the other stuff. And I wasn't good at the other stuff, but I was actually quite good at the teaching. And what age group were you teaching through Um, that role? So that was in a secondary school. So I was mainly working with 11 to 16, which, um, yeah, and again, in small groups, really enjoy working with students but it's just yeah when you get to teaching a whole class it's completely different skill set than what you need for tutoring yeah which is really interesting and so tell us a bit about then because the focus of these this podcast series is about what a day in your life looks like so if we were to reflect back on on yesterday on Monday or any of the other typical days that you've got what does a typical day look like for you what time do you get up in the morning what does your work look like because you're both a tutor and you're kind of an online distance learning teacher as well Um, so how does that split in a typical day um it really kind of varies because particularly for my open university work where I work as a a distance learning tutor it really depends I have periods where I've got a lot of marking and I always seem to be like working my way through marking um and then I have periods where it's much quieter so normally I'm not a massive morning person so normally get up around kind of half past eight ish and then I'm not a morning person (laughs) and my typical time is like 11 (laughs) a.m. Oh, okay. <laughs> that makes me feel like more like a morning person then. You um, are a morning person. <laughs> Before 9am um, is an achievement for me. <laughs> but yeah, and then just, I, I tend to do like my open university work like earlier in the day. And mm. then from kind of four o'clock onwards, like that kind of afternoon to early evening is my, yeah, my kind of peak tutoring time. So what hours are you typically working from? Like nine in the morning till... Late in I the usually, evening. If I'm going to go out somewhere or do errands or whatever, I'll usually do that in the morning. So um, I wouldn't be kind of working solidly from like nine o'clock till like, you know, late in the evening. I've also started kind of limiting myself to um, just having kind of three students in an evening because I realised, particularly before COVID, when I was travelling to everybody, that I was kind of scheduling loads of students in and then driving to and from them and getting really frazzled so I've kind of purposefully tried to take a little bit of a step back and think actually it's better to have kind of three students in an evening and feel calm and like I know what I'm talking about than to kind of stress myself out and over schedule myself. So has that change in your scheduling also meant a change in your pricing to kind of level it out or have you taken a hit? Um, and not at the moment what I'm thinking of doing is increasing when it comes to like next January but I think what I was doing before wasn't very sustainable over like a longer period Mm. 
whereas mm. what I'm doing now it fits in more nicely with my with my open university work and I guess if you were scheduling in three kids in the evening how and you were traveling to them right yeah so how were you um ensuring that you had enough time because at that time is also rush hour and it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so didn't it that stress was, you out yeah that was what I was finding I was finding that really stressful yeah. so in some ways with everything with COVID it did give me a chance to kind of rethink okay when I started again kind of like last September when I was doing face-to-face I was much more careful in how I scheduled people in you know to minimize my traveling and with COVID I think moving over to kind of Skype and Zoom I've got some students that I think are going to continue um, with lessons that way which I wouldn't have expected you know pre-COVID I would have said Mm. oh no they wouldn't want that so I find that's really interesting how it's led to such a change in yeah in what people are actually looking for have you kind of expanded beyond your locality as a result of being online not as of yet i'm hoping to to kind of do that i'd like to take on a bit more daytime work so Mm. as i was saying i don't want to take on you know too much in the evening i'd like to try and have my work spread out through the day as well so that's definitely something that i'm looking at now that you know with online obviously you're not constrained like you say by geography (laughs) Mm. So that's really interesting because I think most people that have shifted online have had students from all over the place, but you must have a really good reputation in your local area to kind of have enough students in the local area, which is really great. Um, So my next question is, let's have a detailed look at yesterday. What time did you get up? What was the first thing? This includes like your morning routine and what time you have breakfast. If you have a dog, do you go for a walk? Like things like that. Like what does a, a detailed structure of your day look like if someone was thinking of oh, maybe I want to go into tutoring. Um, Maybe I'll have a bit of daytime work, uh, working somewhere else like you're doing at the moment. What could that possibly look like for them if they were working for an online distance learning provider and they were tutoring on the side? So I think for me, you know, I do have that flexibility in when I work. So, you know, sometimes it can be in the daytime or, Mm -hmm. you know, if I've got a friend that's off for the day, um, like one of my friends that works as a teacher was off like last week for half term. So I did have the flexibility to kind of shift things around, you know, so that there is no kind of one typical day. I can kind of organise it in a way that suits me. So I do find, you know, if I've got errands or to run or anything like that, like yesterday, oh, I can't even remember. I should be able to remember from yesterday. <laughs> um, yeah, like well, yesterday I went out and food shopping kind of mid-morning and, you know, did that before it kind of got busy and so what time did your alarm go off in the morning? So, or do you yeah, naturally wake up? I tend to naturally wake up, but I do usually have an alarm set just in case I don't naturally wake up. So yeah, I usually set it for kind of 8 and 8.30 and then by that time I'm usually up. Okay, so then you, then you have breakfast in the morning or do you skip um, breakfast? I'm not a, not a breakfast person. I really like occasionally I'll have like yogurt or a banana or something, but I usually don't have breakfast. I'm never like hungry in the morning. And then, (laughs) so then you went shopping. Probably the worst thing to do when you've not eaten because you'll end up buying lots of stuff. Yeah, more stuff (laughs) than you need to buy. (laughs) Okay, so you went shopping early morning. And then what was next after that? So I came home, um, did some marking, um, had lunch, did some more marking after lunch, (laughs) and then got ready for um, the students that I'd got in the afternoon. So I had one student online, another student that I've, gone back to face to face with and then my last student online 
So that was, yeah, I think I had four o'clock and then 5.30 and then 7.30. So it was fairly spread out. It didn't feel too kind of rushed, which was nice. That's nice. So I'm assuming the marking is from your distance learning provider. Yeah. And do you do any live teaching for them as well? Or is it completely flexible? So I do do some live teaching for them. So I've actually got some live teaching on tomorrow evening for an hour, a kind of investigative um, research skills, like workshop. Yeah, just kind of an hour. Research skills in terms of like scientific skills, hypotheses, graph drawing, that kind of thing. Again, that varies. So I do have to be quite careful with my tutoring because with my open university, like distance learning tutorials, we schedule them kind of six months, nine months in advance. So then I have to be careful because I'll look and think, ah, I've got that and that clashes with this weekly lesson. So that can be a bit tricky because that peak time in the early evening is obviously when I need to schedule those tutorials. And then that also kind of clashes with, um, yeah, the time that I, I normally do most of my tutoring. So I do have to do a little bit of juggling there, which can be a bit of a pain. But I guess you've got the daytime to really work on the planning, to work on what most people would do in the evening, which is like the chores and things around the house and and shopping and things like that. So do you find that during the day, daytime stuff varies depending on what needs to be done? Like, do you have like a list of things that need to be done in a month or in a week? Um, I make a list roughly for a week and then I kind of go, I could roughly do this here. I have Um, a, a list of things on my planner, but I definitely have have certain jobs that seem to get shifted from one week of the planet onto the next week <laughs> of the planet and then they just disappear of, into the ether right after a yeah. while because you're like they're not that important important <laughs> yeah definitely is there something that you want to do in the future like you want to have dedicated days for maybe marketing dedicated days for like business development like is the plan to grow your business or do you want to remain as a one-man band I think at the moment I'd like to kind of remain as a one-man band but what Mm. I'm thinking of doing and what's kind of in the pipeline at some point (laughs) is I want to do more work kind of going into schools and running kind of workshops um, kind of yeah in schools um, like secondary and primary so that's something that I'm kind of starting to think about at the moment in terms of what kind of workshops I could run so I'm thinking of some kind of practical science workshops for like primary schools and then something around kind of revision, but also maybe some PSHE type lessons um, for secondary. So that's and that's something that I think once I've kind of got that going, then mm. I might look to, you know, expand and see, you know, are the tutors out there that could offer, you know, music or something else that I can't offer as a workshop. So that's mm. that's one of the directions that I'm thinking of going in because I'm just conscious what I don't want to do is just think, right, I'm going to schedule myself as many hours as possible <laughs> for tutoring or I'm going to put my you know hourly rate up and you know do a few hours. I feel like I want to expand in a different direction, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think there's a limitation when you put all eggs in one basket. And I think what COVID has made a lot of people realise is that you need to have those different income streams, even if it's within the same business model, to have various different ways of getting income in to then be sustainable in the long run. And it's interesting that you're 
going from tutoring to workshops where I've gone from workshops to more tutoring. tutoring. Yeah. And one thing that I can probably pass on as advice is the workshops, you'll do less of them, but the work around it is going to be more so than you're ever going to do around tutoring. Yeah. <laughs> because the planning and uh, like the logistical side of organizing things with schools and just getting your foot into the door with schools is is very difficult in the first place because it's, it's such a diluted market. I probably haven't done that much with schools because I prefer to not do curriculum based content. They tend to prefer things that they can tick off the box and like, like covered tie yeah. in with the curriculum. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And, and I don't like being limited by that. So I've kind of created a business that works around me rather than me working in a business. It's up to you how which way you do it. It's very difficult to get into schools. But I think once you're in there, then like most things in tutoring as well and in the, in the education sector, a lot of it spreads by word of mouth. Yeah, definitely. I've been surprised how much of, of my business has started to be word of mouth. You know, even though I've only been doing the private tutoring for a couple of years I'm definitely getting you know more people through recommendations than I was expecting. How do you go around advertising do you rely completely on word of mouth or do you actually have an active marketing campaign? I've been increasing what I'm doing with Facebook so I know we were kind of talking about that earlier where I've been kind of thinking more about how to use Facebook to market because I think what I've been doing before has been, you know, oh, I better post something. I've not posted something for ages. So I'm trying to be a bit more kind of organized and kind of to really kind of think it through. Um, I have done leafleting in the past. So I was quite happy with the leaflets I produced. I thought they explained what I do well and like my background and things like that. But it's such a low response rate from leaflets because you're looking for somebody that happens to be looking for a teacher at that point in the subject that you offer and so I'm kind of thinking I won't do leafleting again. How many did you produce in terms of quantity? It was I think it was a few thousand which mm. and I'm specifically there's um, an area in Litchfield where it's an estate where there's there's quite a lot of young families so I thought well that's you know the area that I go for. I mean I did get I have had a couple of students through it it made me realize that there's got to be other ways to market as well I think a few students from a few thousand flyers is quite it's good. actually quite a good yeah yeah response rate <laughs> the response rate normally with flyers is like 0.1 percent or I, I'm pretty sure it's less than one percent it, it's very low so you're getting some kind of kickback from that which is good yeah and and surely after a few lessons, you'll get that money back and they'll yeah, carry yeah, on. Definitely. So it does work. What I find with flyers, and this is something that I keep saying a lot to people that are looking at advertising through flyers, flyers do work. You just need to make sure that you don't put any dates on there. So it's not time sensitive. Yeah. And keep it very generic because then the flyers can exist for a very long time and people yeah. can still <laughs> pick them up many years later and give you a call. And they might not tell you they've got it off the flyer. So I would always recommend that you ask where it's coming from because then you can go, oh, that's working and mentally (laughs) check off and say, actually, the flyers work. I used to do a lot of flyers. I think I used to get 5K produced at any one time just because it was cheaper. There was like a three pound difference. Yeah, where it's just like, oh, I (laughs) might as well have an extra couple of thousand. Yeah, I think one thing I realized as well from last time was Initially, when I started, I, I thought, right, I'm going to really go for GCSE science, A-level biology. And I've started to realise that there's a lot of demand for 
kind of lower key stage three tutoring mm-hmm. um and that actually you know that i'm confident at that level to do kind of more just general homework help english maths and science that's a bigger market so it has made me think well maybe if i was to do flyers now there are more people that are potentially my target market now than there were when i was solely focusing on gcse science a level biology Mm, yeah Um, because when you get to a level it's very specific yeah definitely a a very small subset of a much bigger audience that you're looking at while with primary it's kind of open to a lot of kids and yeah definitely flyers you're saying they have worked some degree yeah Um, it was a couple of years ago now it was right when i first started i got the yeah the flyers out but yeah one i mean one of the students that i got through the flyers i've I taught him and then I've taught his younger brother as well so exactly it's you know it works <laughs> it's it's that's really good for me <laughs> yeah it works they do work I used to leave my flyers in libraries and I had an organization contact me and I asked them where they'd found me from and they said from a library they mentioned you and I'm assuming they picked up a flyer and they went so they must have asked the librarian um do you know anyone and she must have gone oh yeah here's a flyer person with the (laughs) flyer yeah so I got contacted by an organization and I got a load of work from there for for a whole year and that was tutoring working with kids that were struggling in school and had SEN or were absent from school and they needed catch-up sessions and that was a lot of work and I hadn't produced any flyers for a good few years. So the flyers had been still lying around. Yeah. <laughs> so they do last. And I, and I do recommend that if people are looking at doing flyers to then leave them in community centres, in libraries, in venues. You know, you see lots of flyers in certain venues. Yeah, sometimes yeah, even definitely. in supermarkets, you'll have loads. So just kind of leave them somewhere where people will go looking for flyers. Yeah. And then they'll go, ooh. <laughs> Did you actually post them through the doors last time? I have posted some myself through doors, but I paid for them to be um, delivered by a local company that delivers like leaflets and those promotional booklets and things like that. Because, yeah, I think once you start, once you've delivered like a hundred of them, you realise <laughs> how long it takes and like you get people looking at you like, what are you doing? Why are you walking onto my <laughs> No, I just felt really self-conscious doing that as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, got, I, I, you, yeah. you run the gauntlet of like dogs and like just random things. <laughs> and you realise how kind of brave post yeah, people are. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Like, I wouldn't be able to do this. But then they're probably looking at us teachers and going, wow, they're brave to be teaching kids. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. That. <laughs> yeah, so I think it works both ways. Okay, so flyers we've established do work. <laughs> and, you, and that's probably something that you could probably do again and maybe focus on community centres and that kind of places. And I'm pretty sure schools would probably pick up. I'm certain very early on, I got approached by a school because I'd written at the bottom of my flyer, I also run workshops for schools and libraries and centres. So you could actually have a tutoring flyer and then write, we also run workshops and it's not going to hurt you for doing that. It could bring you business because people will pick up and they go, oh, that might work for my school and pass it on. So there's ways that you can really make it work. And I do think flyers work, even though I haven't done them in a good few years now. So with the learning workshop, Michelle, you came to the Nurturing Your Audience workshop. How has that kind of changed in terms of your social media? How have you altered your social media marketing? Are there any examples that you've done recently where it's worked for you? Yeah, I think it's definitely made me think a lot more about what I'm posting rather than just thinking, oh dear, I haven't posted for a while, I should post something. 
I've definitely started to think about, you know, what I want to put across to the audience that I've got. So recently I posted a, a kind of cartoon about kind of like a joke kind of cartoon about assessment. The idea you've got all the different animals and then the the test that they all have to take is to climb that tree and it's obvious that the monkey's going to do really well and then the fish is going to struggle and all of that and I didn't think of it as being controversial it was just a little bit of a comment on how education can be quite narrow and we can you know judge students in in one particular way and not appreciate their other talents but yeah I posted it on a few kind of local groups and it got quite a strong response on one of them with someone saying they disagreed with it and they saw it as me kind of criticising kind of children that were academic. And it was really interesting because it, it led to quite a lot of debate and actually a lot more engagement in what I posted. So I think that kind of proves what you were saying about, you know, don't be afraid to divide your audience. Don't be afraid to say something a bit controversial because it actually got people interested in in what I was trying to say. Yeah, and what it does do is when you do post things like that, it will help your audience to actually know what kind of tutor you are. And you do need to create that kind of separation there because not everyone's going to be your audience. Yeah, And it's about kind of realizing who aligns with your values and who kind of aligns with what you're trying to achieve. So it's great it worked and that kind of style of nurturing your audience works. And maybe those people that were disagreeing, maybe they work for the education system and they don't want to see the changes happening (laughs) within the system yeah so do you see yourself now kind of becoming more of a regular social media poster in terms of advertising your business yeah definitely I think especially with the posts that we were talking about it took me a little bit longer to make you know I had to think about it a little bit more but I got so much more engagement than any of the other posts that I'd made and when you start to look at you know how many people have seen it And you think, well, even if just less than 1% of those, even if a few of those thought, oh, maybe this is the tutor for me, you realise the the great potential it can have. Mm. Um, I do also think with COVID, you know, my traditional ways of finding students aren't working in the same way that they were before. So it's definitely made me think about, you know, I've, I've had a lot of students through referrals. It's made me think about, you know, could I do some kind of referral system where, people get a bit of a discount if they refer me to a friend and it's definitely changed the way that I think about my business and and how I can market it. And I think the great thing about building and nurturing your audience is I talk about the tap analogy where you can kind of turn the tap on. If you've nurtured your audience to a point where they are aligned to your values, they agree with your style of teaching and your methodology and and who you are as an educator, then you only have to say, oh, I've got a place available and they'll go rushing. So I think when you were talking about your workshops, it's really going to help you to develop your audience for that and nurture them and get them excited for what you're going to be delivering. So in terms of your weekly schedule now, do you think you're going to be putting a regular slot in or are you going to wait until you start your workshops? Probably put a regular slot in. It's something that I do actually find it kind of breaks up the day a little bit. I think Mm. if you've got a couple of hours of tutoring and then you want to almost do something different, it's nice to actually have an activity that's, that's quite creative and, yeah, a little bit different. And I think what you were saying about being able to fill a slot when you've got a slot available, I actually had a text from a parent of a student I cheated before um, kind of getting back in touch because they'd seen my my social media post. Brilliant. So it definitely kind of highlights that, you know, even though they'd not liked it or commented on it, 
a lot more people are seeing it than you're necessarily uh, you know aware of which I think is yeah really interesting yeah what people don't realize is there's a whole load of people that they watch Mm. posts they watch comments they watch what you post and when you have zero engagement on something they're less likely to see it there's less people seeing it less people watching that post but as soon as you start getting that engagement and people are commenting and you're replying back and there's back and forth the Facebook algorithms change and it shows it to more and more people and in that way you're reaching more so there's more of a chance of people watching you and then it increases the chance of them kind of reaching out to you so that's brilliant that it's worked I think it's definitely made me realize that you know, any time I invest in in the marketing is is really well worth it. Yeah, I, I do think it, it's always nice when you do it the first time because it gives you a confidence boost. Yeah, you're like oh, it's working. Definitely. Sid was right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's good and that I, it's worked for yeah. you. And I think it's something that, especially coming from a background of kind of working in education, we're not always great at kind of shouting about ourselves and saying I'm so great you know it's almost like we're told not to do that or we've kind of internalized that we're not supposed to do that I think particularly as women I think there's a lot of uh, stuff about you know be modest or don't tell people that you're amazing but obviously when you're running a business you do have to you know however uncomfortable it makes you you do have to say actually you know I am pretty good Mm. and I am a good cheater so I think it's kind of getting over that initial uncomfortableness and actually being able to have a go at the marketing. Because if you don't value what you're doing and you don't appreciate your own value, how do you expect someone else to, right? It's that self-love kind of cycle where if you don't love yourself, how can you expect someone else to? And I think it's the same when you're running a business. And I've been through that where you kind of self-doubt and you kind of go, hmm, am I good enough? Like the imposter syndrome kicks in. And with anything, it's just about, well, who else is going to be shouting in my corner? When you were in a school, you had your head of department, you had your head teacher Mm. to kind of say good things about you, but now you don't. And it's up to you to do it. So yeah, it's it's really interesting how our relationship with ourselves also changes when we are running a business and we grow as a person as well. So you're wearing lots of different hats, like you're you're doing your yes. <laughs> your um, distance learning stuff, your tutoring, and hopefully you'll be starting your workshops. How do you find it all kind of working going forward? Is is there one thing that you're going to increase, or how do you see it working? Yeah, I'm planning to kind of increase my like private tutoring, and hopefully with the workshops get they started and maybe reduce my kind of distance learning tutoring at the moment there's a lot of marking with that which is I think we were talking about it's quite a lot of kind of sitting marking the same assignment over and over and over again so I think it'd be nice to do a little bit more tutoring a little bit yeah and it's really interesting um I saw a Facebook post earlier with a meme I love memes and uh, this particular meme was uh talking about how there was an airplane and there was something wrong with the engine and it took lots of engineers and no one could figure out what was wrong with this engine and it was stood still for ages and then they hired this one engineer and he came over he spent two minutes he took out a hammer and he knocked the engine in like one particular spot and it starts working and then he sends an invoice for twenty thousand dollars and they're like hang on a second you only spent two minutes the the hammer like tapping it would cost two dollars but knowing where to tap and how hard to tap that's my nineteen thousand nine hundred and ninety eight dollars and it kind of makes you realize that actually when we're teaching it's our wealth of knowledge it's our experience it's all of that together and all of that takes time like people think it's just the contact time it's not it's everything around it yeah yeah definitely but no I've heard that before of I think the example I heard was with a locksmith that you know, when someone was a trainee locksmith and it used to take him an hour to 
get somebody into their house after the the lock had broken they were quite happy to pay his fee and then when he got much better and it took him two minutes that's ridiculous you're overcharging me and so I think yeah it's the same exactly the same analogy (laughs) it is isn't it and it just makes you kind of think because sometimes we look at we're like oh we're doing a two-hour group session and we're like that's going to cost too much, but it sounds too much per hour. Or And we kind of undervalue some of what we're trying to get across to the families. And then actually it's a cycle. We undervaluing ourselves, yeah. the families start undervaluing us. And it's actually realizing that our time is worth something and then making sure that we kind of work towards that. And I guess when you decrease your distance learning hours, it'll give you more time to focus on your business side of things. Yeah, definitely. I think, I think with well with everything with coronavirus it's felt a very odd time to be building a business you know running a business so I think there's definitely been a lot of reacting to kind of what's gone on and I want to make sure that I'm what I'm doing is a bit more intentional that I mean when COVID struck it was literally I stopped teaching face-to-face on the Tuesday by the Monday I was doing completely online which is brilliant but at the same time there's been so much where it's just adapting really quickly that we've not necessarily spent the time thinking about where do I want my business to go Mm. what kind of tutoring do I want to do and all of those those kind of other things that you have to think about when you're in a business and as much as COVID has been this horrendous time over the last 18 months and people have lost lives and families have been uh, split apart it has been a time for reflection for a lot of people in especially in the education sector because it's been such a big topic and on the news all the time and as much as the education sector as a whole has done quite well especially the tutoring it has been a non-stop Mm. it has been non-stop for us I think a lot of other people have been furloughed they've had time to reflect and really think and we've just been non-stop yeah, <laughs> throughout that definitely. period of time and you're right we do need to take a step back and kind of look at it again and kind of go how do we make this work and I'm I'm probably at the same stage now with the online school that I'm doing where it's like how do I make all the systems work and how do I get it to be more efficient so with online have you noticed that you can do more essentially yeah in terms of not having the traveling I think we'll see realize that I like a balance of the two that sometimes it is really nice and I think it will be really nice when the weather is rubbish and what have you that I don't have to go out at like Mm -hmm. late into the evening in the dark in like December but at the same time I do like to do some face-to-face tutoring as well so I found particularly with my younger students as well some parents that that prefer it so I think what I'm quite liking is I can have the flexibility of the two Mm. Um, and that I don't have to say right I only do face-to-face or I only do online I can say to parents well I offer whichever you prefer if one week you want an online lesson that's fine if the next week you want face-to-face that's fine as long as you tell me beforehand so I can get to you so it's nice to be able to do that. Yeah I think parents appreciate flexibility and it builds a relationship and it's it feels less like a business then and I think you want to have that balance where it's fine to have the terms and conditions and all of this business side in in place but I like that I can offer that flexibility and I think also you were talking about being near exam time and being able to do more lessons with certain kids. Yeah when I first started I thought well you know I'll do this number of of lessons and I'll make this much money and it'll be it's made me realize that it's not 
quite as simple as that. There are other things you have to think about, but it's also not just a case of taking on more students. Because what I do find is when I've had, sometimes when I've got more students, I find that then I feel more frazzled and actually it's not for the extra money, it's not worth doing that. I'm definitely trying to find a a good balance between all three of the different hats that I'm wearing. Mm. And it sounds like you're doing an amazing job. And when you start like the workshops, it's going to be really amazing. And and like you were talking about actually having a balance between the face-to-face and the online. And you could almost make it seasonal where you do summer sessions face-to-face, but December you're like, I'm going to do this online. <laughs> yeah, because there, there were a few times where it was, you know, the last thing you want to really do on December yeah. evening is, is drive from one student to another it's actually quite nice to be sat at yep. home with your kind of hot chocolate on your sofa, you know. But then at the same time, I do like, I live by myself or with my cat. I do like the kind of social side of seeing the students as well. So it's, yeah, it's definitely about finding a balance that works for me and also works for the students. It's been fantastic speaking with you, Michelle, and learning about your kind of typical day and, and all the different things that you do. And it's so fascinating that every tutor and educator has a, a slightly different way of doing things and the way that they operate their business, but also all the other things that they do. So it's been brilliant. If people want to reach out to you, how can they do that? The best way is probably through my Facebook page at the moment. So that's got all of my details in terms of my phone numbers and emails, or you can send me a message through my Facebook page and I'll, I'll get back to you. So what's the name of the Facebook page? Um, Michelle G. Tuition. Excellent. Thank you so much for taking part, Michelle, and sharing your journey. Oh, thank you very much. I hope you guys enjoyed listening to our conversation and took lots of value from it for your business. Now, if you did, please remember to do me a favor and rate and review and subscribe to this podcast so you never miss another episode. If you fancy becoming a member of the Champions Club or would like to attend a learning workshop or maybe even the business and cultural retreat in Marrakesh, then visit the website ukeducators.com where you'll find lots of information. You can also join our Facebook community at UK Educators. I'm Sid, you've been listening into the UK Educators Community Podcast and I'll see you next Sunday when we release another episode.